Well, good morning, church family. It's good to be here. I've been, well, I've been down here since uh, what, Monday. Flew down, and my wife had a chest cold, and you know, marriage is about giving things away. And so I realized I've got what she got now. So uh, get to go back and thank her for it. Anyways, it's good to be here. Um, I've I've spoken here before. Anybody remember that? Some of you do. Okay, so most of you don't. So then if you don't, let me introduce myself the way I like to do it, only because um, I just kind of like to do it that way when most people don't know who's standing in front of you. I, um, without going into all the stuff, I've got a Ph.D. and M.A., another M.A., Ph.D. in psychology and counseling, an M.A. in marriage and therapy, another M.A. in religious education from Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, an ordained minister, so an REV, an LPC, an LMFT, a clinical member of the AAMFT. <laughs> CIA, UFO, EIEIO. <laughs> I do a lot of, I got a lot of letters and people kind of look at all that and I say, look, you know, I don't go by doctor, I go by Rick. Um, I like going by Rick. Doctor means I went to school and finished. All right? Uh, but really, the reason I do what I do is I grew up in a broken home. And so I've had a walk of journey of healing. Yeah, I was my father's side of the family is Jewish. My mother's side of the family were Muslims. I was baptized Catholic, raised Unitarian, and became a Christian when I was 17. <clears throat> I'm a religious mutt, <laughs> okay? But in my, I've come to realize that in my journey of life, um, if you were dysfunctional before you got saved, when you got saved, you're just saved and dysfunctional. Salvation doesn't take away your humanity. It doesn't take away your issues and doesn't take away those things. And praise the Lord that there is a church, i.e. Calvary Bible, that cares enough about people rather than just saying suck it up, get over it, and pray about it or stop it. But actually has a counseling center that says, hey, we'll disciple you on your journey of growth and maturity in Christ. And so I'm thankful for the Christian Counseling Center because you actually have a gift here that you provide um, to your country. Um, and with Pastor Arnett and his wife Helen and Deborah, it's a family affair. Have you figured that one out? <clears throat> but with their their love for people and their training to help people get from point A to point B. You heard, heard people say, well, stop it, don't do that. And the person tries to quit doing whatever that is, but they don't know what to do different. I think one of the mistakes the church makes is we don't tell people what to do different. We just tell them to stop doing that. And it's not sufficient to tell people you know what not to do. We've got to show them what to do don't tell me don't go down that road okay but I went drove, right driving around yesterday and it was pretty adventurous I got <clears throat> Pastor Arnett loaned me a vehicle and so I had no maps and it, I intentionally without a map so I pulled out of the hotel and said well, I'm going to go right so I went and next thing you know I found myself going places I've never seen before I didn't know where I was but I knew as long as the sun was over there I was going north and or south I knew that been in the military long enough to figure that piece out, right? And I made it back, but I had a great time. Sometimes life is like that, isn't it? You don't know where to go. So you're just kind of driving around, but you're not sure what to do because you don't have a point of reference. And this is your point of reference. This is your point of reference. But, but let's be honest. It's one thing to say, you know, don't be patient. It's another thing to be patient, isn't it? Especially when you don't feel like being patient. It's one thing to be kind. You know, but it's another thing to be kind when you don't want to be kind. You know what I'm talking about? And so you, sometimes we need some help. And that's all right. There is wisdom in a multitude of counselors, all right? <clears throat> Just don't pay them all. 
Okay? What I want to do today really is more of a talk than it is more of a sermon. I want you to think with me. I'm going to change the topic because um, some things just happened over the past few days and I just thought, you know, I'm going to switch the subject up on you. So for those of you who are not married, this is great prevention work for you. Okay? For those of you who are married, I want you to really think about what I have to say for a minute because I, I hold myself, hopefully, to the same standard. Um, I became a Christian when I was 17. I married my wife. We've been married a little over 25 years. Her name is Luella. And um, we have three children, currently ages 20, 18, and 16, a boy, a girl, and a boy. I was on staff at one of the ten largest churches in America for a number of years. And I have come to realize something. You can know a thousand verses, but still be mean and ornery. You can know Greek and Hebrew, but still mistreat people. You can know five verses and love well. You know Greek, Hebrew, be a pastor, a Sunday school teacher, a deacon, and you'd be unloving. And I've told my kids, I have come to believe that God is not impressed with how much you know. He cares more about how much you love in his name than how much you know. And part of the problem I think that we are facing in the West, in Christianity, is because we've lost integrity. We've lost integrity. We talk about God's love, but when it comes right down to it, we're not loving corporately as a body of Christ. Just go to America and ask anybody who's not a Christian about Christians, and these are the the adjectives you'll get. Oh, well, Christians, let's see, they're judgmental, they're critical, they're insensitive, they don't like this, they don't like that, etc., etc. Interesting, if you ask them the same questions about Jesus, here's what they say. Jesus, he was kind, he was gentle, he was a good man, he was loving, he was caring. Interesting, lost people have these adjectives for Jesus, but for the body of Christ... His followers, they're completely different. We have misrepresented the Father's heart. And I think part of it is because we are not doing marriage and family well. It is one thing I've told my kids publicly and privately. If what you see me being and behaving at church, if you see me at church and I'm nurturing and kind and tender, right? But at home, consistently, I'm insensitive. I'm not kind. I act like I don't care. If I do those things at home, but I don't do them in public, I said, don't trust my faith, kids. Because the real me is the one at home, not the one at church. That's a mask. That's fake. That's about me and wanting to look good. We all do it on some level, don't we? I mean, it's one thing being a jerk and another thing to act like a jerk, right? I act like a jerk. I just don't want to be a jerk. I do a thing for singles called How to Avoid Marrying a Jerk or a Jerkette because there's a bunch of those out there as well. (laughs) So what I want to do is I want to talk with you for a minute here about um, why did God make marriage in the first place? Why did God make marriage? A couple years ago, more like a year and a half ago, I have have like a thousand books in my library. And um, all these books, especially Christian books, are on really the psychology of marriage. Most people writing on marriage are writing about how to do marriage. But I realized when I was asked a question once by an Episcopal priest friend of mine, well, why did God make marriage in the first place, Rick? And I went, no, I don't know. I don't know. 
We said, well, don't you think you ought to know why? To give you a framework. And so I began to do some research and I found out that the Catholic Church really is the only church that still consistently teaches a theology of marriage. Most of us Protestants are talking about a psychology of marriage. How to do marriage, how to communicate, how to solve problems, how to meet needs. I'm not saying those things aren't good. But I think maybe in the West we've lost the why. So why did God make marriage in the first place? So let's go back to Genesis 2.18. Excuse me. Genesis 2.18. There's Adam. He's in the garden with God. God says, Adam, it's not good that you should be what? Alone. I'm going to make a help for you. Adam is then given an assignment to name the animals. He goes through the process of naming the animals. And he comes to realization that there's not another one like him. He's then put to sleep. He is then, uh, a, a rib is removed. And then he sees Eve. He actually sees God bringing Eve. So here's the first question. Why make Eve from the side? Why not just bring her up from the dust like he was? Why was it important for Eve to come from his body? I don't think whether he came from... (coughs) Excuse me. I don't think the fact that she came from the rib is relevant. In my mind, she could have came from the ankle. I think the point is she had to come from his physical body. Are you with me? Some people say, well, the reason Eve came from the side is so she could be equal with him. I don't know if that's really, I think that's more of our interpretation. What's really important is this. She had to come from him. She could not come from the dust. Because in that sense, there is no connection between the two. Because when Eve, it's almost like when God, Adam sees her. There's something inside of him that inherently knows, this is not me, but boy, she is me. She's not me. I mean, she's different. But she is still me. Because I can't get over the fact that I got the surgery over here. You with me? He knew inherently, though she was separate, she was still a part of him. And it was in the garden, it was in the garden when Eve came about, that Adam experienced the oneness that Genesis 2.24 is talking about. You shall leave your mother and father, right? Well, they didn't have a mom and dad, right? So he's making it, he's telling us what's about to happen. These two are about to have babies. But you shall leave and cleave become what? One. If she just came from the dust, he would know she was different. But, but there was no sense of what? She's a part of me. There was no sense of this one flesh. Which in Ephesians 5, Paul says, is a mystery. It is a mystery. I don't get it. How can Luella and I, who are very different, come together and yet, in the marital bond, get a sense of we're sharing chest infections with each other? You know what I mean? It's not me and it's not her. It's us. It's us. And us is different than her and I. Because us is better than both of us. It's more powerful than both of us. But in the garden... To understand the marriage relationship and why God had to make her from the side, you have to go back to God himself. See, God is understood in the context of family. He is a father. He is a what? Son and a Holy Spirit. There are three, but the three are really what? One. 
You cannot separate them. You can talk about them as separate, and you can't. But they're still very much what? One. And in the Garden of Eden, you've got a trinity. You've got Adam, Eve, and you've got God. God himself is a trinity. When you come together in a marital bond, there is God in you and your wife. There is your trinity. In other words, let me say it this way. Marriage is the only relationship that humans can enter into that images the Godhead. Are you with me? It's the only relationship that humans can enter into that image the Godhead. Have you ever been around a really old married couple? They hold each other's hand. I think of the Muzons. When you see the Muzons, they've been married 50 something years. When you see them, it's like young people are always like, I want that. When you see really loving couples, there's something inside of all of us that's drawn to them because you want it. What you don't know that you don't know is you're seeing the image of God. You just don't know that you are. Because that is what marriage is supposed to do. Marriage is supposed to image, image God himself. But here's the downside of it. When marriage fails, you are distorting the image of God to the world. Marriage is one way that God projects an image to the world. In relationship. That's why it's a mystery. Nobody fully understand it. But whatever goes on in your marriage, you project a message to the world. So let me ask you, what kind of image is your marriage projecting to the world? What kind of marriage is my marriage? What kind of image is my marriage projecting to the world? When you see Luella and I, will you see an image of God? Or will you see an image of selfishness? Will you see an image of love? Or will you see anger and resentment? Will you see care and nurture? Or insensitivity and selfishness? Because whatever happens in your marital relationship images him to the world. And I really do think that the reason people are not drawn to Christianity in the West today is because our divorce rates are no different. They're no different. And kids, 91% of active church youth this is astonishing 91% of active church youth when they graduate high school walk away from their faith but when you interview those kids as to why they basically tell you in essence it's my experience with Christians it's my experience with Christians I know what I was taught but also know what I experienced you hear the disconnect you say one thing you live another thus in their mind your faith is cheap. You don't believe it. And why would I want to follow something that you yourselves don't follow? And what matters more isn't how you treated me at church, mom and dad. What matters more is how you treated me at home. Because that's the real you. This is, not to, this is not to beat anybody up. It's to make us wonder. What kind of image are we projecting to the world? What image... Does your marriage sin? And then if you realize, you know, I guess the image I'm projecting to the world isn't necessarily love. And there's 15 traits of those. We talked about those in Sunday school this morning. 
If it isn't love, you're projecting something because you cannot not project an image. Because everything you do will project an image. And you may say, well, that's not my problem. That's their problem. And I would argue, I don't necessarily agree with that. Because we are, will be held accountable for how we love others. We will be held accountable for how we treat others. Now, we need to move a little bit further. We know that marriage is a mystery. Ephesians 5 says it is. It talks about the one flesh relationship in Genesis 2, especially in Ephesians chapter 5 and elsewhere. But think about this for a minute. Now, where I'm about to go is going to be a little um, dicey for some, but just hang with me. I'm, not going to, I'm just going to make some statements here that I think are accurate biblically, theologically. God's love can never stay confined and has to give birth to something else. God is perfect love. Perfect love never focuses on itself. And perfect love always creates. Are you with me? It always creates. It gives birth to something else. There's God, he makes the angels. One third of the angels take off with Lucifer. Breaks the father's heart. He wants to love because love gives out. So he creates an environment called earth. And then he puts Adam and Eve in it for one reason. So that he can what? Love them. And then he gave them the ability to go procreate. Why? Because in a marriage relationship, the marriage, the marital love, the love you have in your marriage relationship, divinely imaged, have to create. Thus, my children, biblically speaking, should actually be an image of the love that Luella and I have for each other. Did you get that? Children are a product of the love that exists between the couple. Because love always gives birth to something else. And then in 1913, something happened that distorted it all. Up until 1913, every... Now, this word's going to get a little dicey, so stay with me. I'm not taking a stand one way or another, but I am going to give you some facts. You can interpret it however you want. In 1913... Up until 1930, every denomination was against contraception. Every one of them. Until 1913. In 1913, in an Episcopal conference, the Episcopal Church allowed for contraception. Since that time, every Protestant denomination has followed suit. Except for one church. The Catholic Church. The Catholic Church says, no. It has been the theology since the beginning of the church. And just because you people approve it doesn't mean it's true. And here's why they take their stand against contraception. Because they begin to ask. It goes back to this divine image. You see, Rick, when you introduce contraception to a relationship, you now remove procreation from love. Now, sex becomes about yourself. And because it's about you two and not about love, because love always gives birth to something else, children over time are no longer seen as a product of the love between the husband and the wife. They're actually viewed as an accident. Uh-oh, we made a mistake. So what do you do with accidents? You try to avoid them or, if, gosh, it didn't work, what do you do with it? You abort it. Because love, intimacy, human sexuality, intricately linked to the image of God. Intricately linked to the image of God. You'll see this throughout Scripture. 
we can think of the Song of Solomon. The love of God for his bride. And you see the themes of sexuality linked to God's love for his what? Creation. Now I'm not here to take a stand one way or another. I am here to say that you can, sociologically speaking, track the increase in divorce rates back to the introduction of contraception. You can do that. You will see an increase in divorce from that time forward. Why? Because no longer was sexuality linked to the image of God and marriage. It ultimately became about myself and me and my needs. And you want to know what the number two reason for divorce is in the West? Number one is money. Number two are sexual issues. Sexual issues. Why? Because we have divorced human sexuality from marriage. And marriage is no longer tied to the image of God. Oh, I married the wrong one. I hear this a lot. Well, you know, I've been married to her for 12 years, but I didn't realize I saw my soulmate. That's her over there. I married the wrong person. I should have married my soulmate. And next thing you know, you're divorcing that to pursue your soulmate. I hate that that term soulmate. I really do. here's Here's what it assumes. It assumes that of all the billions of choices you can make, that you got to find the one. You with me? Because there's only one person out there that's your soulmate. But there's only one. And you have to find her or him. I, people, I think it's really an excuse for getting out of something you don't like or want because you want something else. So you justify throwing it away. Divorce destroys the image of God. Because he says, I will never, what? Leave you nor what? You ever thought about the book of Hosea? You know the story. Hosea and Gomer, right? Not Gomer Pyle, U.S. Marines. <coughs> Think about, we, we know that you know the rabbis and those, and, and preachers preach on that's an image of God. for love for who? Israel. I'd like to give you another twist to this. I don't think I'm wrong. I think you can do this and be, still be true to the, the essence of the scripture. Can you imagine if God walked up to you and said, Hey, I want you to go marry a prostitute. I mean, can you imagine? That's actually what happened. God told Hosea, You see that prostitute over there in the corner? Go marry her. God told him to marry a prostitute. What would you do if God told you, Go marry a prostitute. That's what God said. Go marry her. And so Hosea marries his prostitute because God tells him to. And you know what it's like. She's out there messing around on him. She's out there doing everything that she shouldn't be doing. And Hosea is trying to be a good husband. He's trying to love her well. And you got this story. The book of Hosea. I personally think this is the greater meaning of that. I think, it, I think this is the meaning that we can glean from it. In terms of every day right now here in the world. Hey, Rick, you know how I told Hosea to go marry a prostitute? Yeah. I want you to know. You see, him being married to her is like me being married to you. You're my bride. This is what it's like for me being married to you. You prostitute yourself with me. 
my own church, my bride. She betrays me. She goes to other gods. She doesn't listen. She rejects me. Now, Rick, I want you to treat Luella the same way I treat my bride. You treat your wife. I mean, if anybody, Hosea knows exactly what it's like for God, right? I mean, in one sense, Hosea knows, God, I know what it's like for you being married to me now. I understand. Yeah, Hosea, you do. Now, I want you to write it down to let the world in the centuries and the ages to come know. This is what it's like for me. This is what it's like for me. But how do I treat you? How do I treat you when you do that to me? That's how you're supposed to treat Luella, Rick. Because see, when you do the same things to me, how do I treat you? You treat Luella the same way. See, God knows exactly what it's like having a bad marriage. Did you get that? Because his bride ain't a real healthy bride, is she? She's done a lot of things over the centuries, hasn't she? But guess what? In the midst of all that his bride has done, in the way she's responded to him, her husband has never left. He's never beat her up. He's never judged her. He's never called her names. He's never divorced her. He's held boundaries with her. So they had done with his bride when she comes back. He takes her back, but he gives her some boundaries. And the same thing with the father. He never, ever threw it away. Why? Because he understands marriage is a sacred relationship. It is sacred. It is a holy relationship. And when you do not enter into marriage lightly, because when you stand before God, Pastor Lee, Pastor Arnett, you really stand before God. They are just representatives. And you are saying, I am entering into a covenant, not a contract. I am entering into a covenant with you, Luella. And no matter what you do to me, I will treat you and love you as my husband treats me. But when you start destroying marriage, the world looks at us and goes, wait, wait, wait. You want to talk to me about love? You look at the way you people treat each other. Look at your own flaws. Let me give you an example of how this has played out in the United States. <clears throat> the United States is battling the gay marriage issue. Big time. Big time. They're fighting it. I have been one of those voices that says, look, I don't mind you guys wanting to fight gay marriage legislatively, but gay marriage has not destroyed marriage in America. Divorce did. But the churches do nothing to stop divorce. But they'll spend millions of dollars to stop gay marriage. And the, the, the liberals... The liberals in the gay community look at us and they say, now wait a minute, wait, wait a minute now. Let me get this straight. You don't want gay people getting married. You're right. It's not biblical. Okay, so you think that gay people getting married is a bad thing. You're right, it's a sin. 
So you're for traditional marriage. You're right. Can you explain something to us? If you're so for traditional marriage, how come your divorce rates are higher than us? That's what they're saying to us. And they're right. They're right. Because you see, this is what's really scary about the United States. The divorce rates are highest in the states where Christians are the strongest. Especially Baptists. And liberals have lower divorce rates. That's interesting. But conservative evangelicals have higher divorce rates than them. And they look at us and go, you can't be for traditional marriage. You divorce too much. We don't believe in marriage. So why are you worried about gay people getting married? That doesn't make sense. And the bottom line is, they're right. There's an integrity issue. Because if we were for traditional marriage, guess what we'd be doing? Saving our heterosexual ones. Now, unfortunately, in my state, I served for four years as a state commissioner on the Florida Commission on Marriage and Family. In the state of Florida, <clears throat> passed an amendment banning, basically passed an amendment to add to the Florida state constitution that marriage is between a man and a woman. And I was one of those voices out there saying to all those people leading that way, I go, so what? So what? So now we've made it illegal completely in Florida for gay people to get married. So what? Gay marriage hasn't destroyed traditional marriage. There are no gay marriages. Divorce is. What are you doing to stop divorce? Nothing. You don't have integrity. Fortunately, John Stenberger of the Florida Family Policy Council is now going after divorce in the state of Florida at the national level, state level to stop the divorce rates and curb them. Amen. And amen. And he knows that his biggest challenge is guess where? The body of Christ. He knows that. But we're coming alongside him. John, whatever you need to do, we are here to support you. Because we lose our integrity when we throw our own marriages away. We lose our integrity. We want the culture to say you are who you say you are. Make your marriages and your families a priority. Love as Father loves and love well. Because see, if you're married here, you are a trinity. There's you, your partner, and who's the third part? God himself. He's in there. Now whether you live as a part of that trinity is up to you. Does that make sense? Hopefully I'm not coming across as condescending. That's not my intent. And if I am, please forgive me. It's only to encourage us. And maybe to wake us up. I got to talk with different people while I was here this past week. And you know what? Same challenges we have, you have. People are people, right? Just changing a border doesn't make things go away. Canadians are having the same kind of problems in this body of Christ. Could it be that we need to get back to loving people well? Could it be that we get back to actually doing the word and not being hearers of the word? And the greatest place for you to do the word is in your home. You can come here and wear a mask. But moms and dads, your kids know the real you. 
they know whether your faith is cheap or not just by the way you treat them and you treat each other. But I said the greatest gift I can give my kids is to love their mother well. I didn't say perfectly, did I? No, because she's so imperfect sometimes it's hard to. <clears throat> it, the best gift I give them is to love Luella well. Not perfectly, but to love her well. And when I mess up, I confess it and ask for forgiveness. I live out the Father's heart at home to the best of my ability so that at least when I'm doing it at church or in public, they know it's the same man. They know it's the same man. And that means, wow, one thing for sure, my dad sure does live out his faith because they see it at home consistently so this has integrity. Does that make sense? I don't know where you are in your relationships. If you're married and your marriage may be quietly, because let's be honest, one of the places you never take your mask off is where? Here. We tend to shoot our wounded quicker than anybody. If you don't believe that, just go talk to a counselor. And you'll hear it in counseling. I don't understand. Why is it my lost friends are more patient and more understanding than my Christian friends are? Because see, Satan will always appear as an angel of what? Light. To draw you away from the Father. Just don't measure God himself based on his children. Don't, don't measure God based on our behavior. We are imperfect. But I do believe we have the ability and the right and the responsibility to live the best we can by treating everybody, each other within the body of Christ cross-denominationally, cross-racially and especially out there with love. And the real test of it is not in public. Because where are you most likely to get your buttons pushed? At home. Man, when I first got married I had all these dreams and expectations. Next thing I know my wife is criticizing the stuff that I eat. And next thing I know she's sneaking stuff in that I don't like. I came home one day and I, well, I got up one morning and she's making tuna fish sandwiches. But I noticed there was yogurt there, not mayonnaise. And I said, you aren't putting yogurt in tuna that, in a tuna, are you? Just let me fix it. Well, you can fix it. You didn't answer my question. <laughs> she goes, well, you've been eating it that way for a week. I said, not today, I'm not. <laughs> not from this day forward. She was trying to control what I ate. Why? She had baggage from her childhood where she used to be heavy. And almost was anorexic. And so out of that, she needed to control what I eat. Well, no one's going to get control of me. No one, you don't want to be controlling you, do you? So what did I do? I started eating out. Fine. I'll show you. <coughs> I was still in the U.S. Navy when we first got married. I came home one night. I was doing school at night, Navy during the day. Came, when I came from home, school, we were married less than six months. There was this really nice rice dish. So I sat down, we said our blessing. I took a spoon, put it in my mouth. I said, there's liver in there. She said, yep, just wanted to make sure you didn't like it. Trust me, I know. I mean, how you handle those things. And I didn't handle them well, got it? I've learned a lot and grown up a lot in 25 years. But how you handle those things says a lot about your faith, doesn't it? And where you are relationally with the Father. You see, I didn't handle them well. That's why I got my bubble today. 
He's like, I'll eat out. I'll show you. You won't control me. And I started a bad pattern. All because I wasn't going to be controlled. Does that make sense? If we love well, and people look at you later on down the road, that's my goal. Another 25 years of marriage. Another 25 years. So we're going to have it. I told her, you ever leave me, I'm going to follow you. All right? (laughs) You leave me, I'm going with you. But another 25 years of marriage, when we're in our 60s, 70s, I would love for young people to come up and say, Mr. and Mrs. Marks? And I go, yeah! <laughs> what, what is it about you two? Well, you guys, you look like you love so each other. And you love being around each other so much. And I'd be able to say, well, son, let me tell you about the third part of my marriage. He's my God. You see, I got the interest. Because something inside of me says, I want that. I want that. So where, where are you in your journey? If people look at your marriage right now, what would they see? And let me ask you some questions. First question is this. What would you have to do different? Not what your partner has to do. What would you have to start doing different in order for people to see the image of God? How would you know? What would you have to start doing different? Are you willing to put those differences into practice whether they do or not? That's a tough one, isn't it? Are you willing to put those into practice whether they do or not? And then, what could you do to help your spouse become the person that God wants them to be? Well, what can I do to help you in that area of your life? Rather than saying, you need to suck it up and fix it and get over it, go to see a therapist. Yeah, you need medication. (laughs) What could I do to help you strengthen that area of your life? And what do they tell you? Just go do it. Because see, as we build the image of God in our marriage, I want my kids to see it. To be honest, your kids know what you are just by watching how you relate to each other over and over and over. Let's do marriage well. Let's honor the father well. Let's honor marriage well. Human sexuality was meant for marriage. It was meant for marriage, not outside of marriage. But because marriage is no longer important and no marriage is no longer tied to the image of God in the West, it's okay to have sex outside of marriage. You see, because contraception says you don't have to be married. You can just have sex with no consequences. And by the way, if you do have a consequence, you can go ahead and abort it. Because see, those are consequences. They're not the outgrowth of intimacy. They're not the outgrowth of intimacy. Your children should be evidence of the love that you two have for each other. Because love never stays confined. It always gives birth to something else. Always creates. So I guess my admonition to you as well as myself, 
is um, I don't know where your marriage is maybe it's on the rocks right now it's okay it really is I know you don't like being there but if you just acknowledge that you're on the rocks then you got to find a path to help you get there this church has got a phenomenal counseling center and you got a phenomenal ministry to help people get unstuck avail yourself to the tool avail yourself to it support the Christian counseling center if you don't already with ongoing tithes they don't almost say this but I'm just saying it support them make a donation to them because listen when people are hurt and broken they got to go somewhere right Pastor Arnett Ellen Arnett they're qualified and skilled and trained okay they've gone through my training so if they mess up don't blame me right <laughs> now they're trained way beyond me alright folks when we walk out of here today just remember you know, people will be watching you just remember what you do and how you relate and how you treat people will be evidence of the love that you have inside of you or the lack thereof got it? let's still love well for the Father starting in our marriages and our families and the church and then to the world out there let's pray Father I thank you for your love for us I thank you Father that your word is true and I thank you Father there is a great mystery there's a great mystery of this oneness this one fleshness or what I like to call usness. When us wins, you both win. When us loses, you both lose. Father, may it be that we fight for that integrity by making our marriages a priority and the relationship a priority. For we men who are called to die to self, we men who are called to die on the cross for our brides, that of the daily walk of self-sacrifice and, 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 and putting our marriage first, not ourselves. The wives are called to respect their husband, even at times when they're not respectful or deserving of respect. And so, Father, if we would love our wives and they would respect the two issues there in Ephesians 5, Pray, Father, that we might be able to take that foundation of love and respect and build on it, Lord, to a greater sense of usness, knowing that you are a part of this marriage. You are the third part of the Trinity, of this oneness. And so, Father, may we allow you to be the Lord of our homes, the Lord of our marriages. May we seek to live out the 15 traits of love, patience and kindness, etc., in our homes first and then in our churches and then to the world around us I do ask it in your name for your glory and for the benefit of my brothers and sisters here thank you Jesus Amen